Good morning, church. Happy Easter. How are you all this morning? I'll try that again. Good morning. All right, all right. What a wonderful, wonderful Sunday morning to be here in church with you all. Um, excited to be here. Excited to see all of you here. Um, man, what a, what a worship service we've had so far this morning. Um, I have some, some notes, some things I want to share with you, but honestly, what we have heard so this far this morning thus far has been so good. I almost feel like just saying amen to what the Lord is already saying and doing. Amen? So, yes, Easter. This is Easter. We're excited to be here this morning. Um, and I'm sure you guys are excited if you have a good day. Uh, we have some nice weather out finally. Um, you, maybe you have an Easter egg hunt planned later. How many of you guys have hidden some eggs and are going to be doing an Easter egg hunt later? Or maybe you have, you know, a ham uh, lunch or dinner coming. I'm not trying to make you too hungry, but you probably have some things you want to do, time with family maybe, and that's all good, and I'm excited for that. But before we go on to that, we're going to take some time, and we're going to talk about the Easter story. Um, we're going to look at it in three different phases um, here this morning. And it's a story that I would imagine that most of you know well. If you have spent any time in church, um, this probably was one of the first stories we tell. It's the story of Jesus on the cross. So you, you probably know this story. But as I tell you the story this morning, as I read you the story, as we talk about the story, I'm going to ask you to try to listen and hear it for the first time. I'm not going to put anything up on the screens. I'm not going to ask you to turn there in their Bibles. I'm just going to ask you to listen and enjoy the story and see what you might hear or see for the first time and what the Lord might say to you this morning. All right? So we're going to start the story, the Easter story, um, over here. And the story starts the night before Jesus was crucified. And the night before, he was gathered with his disciples for a meal to celebrate the Passover, the Jewish Passover. And this was a, a, a thing that they would do every year. They would gather together, um, and they would have a meal together to remember. <clears throat> Not about you. I can't help it. Whenever I read about um, the Last Supper, I can't help but think about Da Vinci's painting. I don't know if anybody else is in that same boat. It's that painting. If you're not, if you're not thinking of it right now, it's a long table, um, and Jesus is in the middle, and, like with, and he's right in the center, and he's got disciples on either side. And curiously, they're all sitting on one side of the table, and I've never really understood that. <laughs> Did Da Vinci not know how tables work? And so that's what I picture, but I, I, and I tell myself, that's probably not what it was really like. It probably wasn't that fancy, um, and they definitely weren't all sitting on one side of a table. They were probably gathered together. They were a group of friends celebrating this meal together, much like many of you will be gathered with family and friends around a table later today. So Jesus and his disciples are gathered around a table celebrating. And the Passover, this meal, they remember God's deliverance. It's a table of remembering what God has done. They're remembering that God brought their people out of Egypt, out of slavery, miraculously, and they gather to remember that. So it's a time of celebration. But as we look at Jesus' conversation around the Passover table, we can notice he's thinking about something else. He's not thinking uh, so much about what God has done in the past. He's thinking about what God is about to do. So I'm going to read to you... Um, like I said, I'm not asking you to turn there. I am reading from uh, the last couple chapters of the book of Luke. Um, and I'm just going to read some different passages of the story. So here, 
he's with his disciples, and they're gathered around. They're having a meal together. And it says, they had prepared the Passover, and the hour came, and Jesus and his disciples sat at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I tell you, I will not eat of it again until it finds its fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And taking the cup, he gave thanks, and he said, Take this, divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom comes. And he took the bread, and he broke it, and he gave thanks, and he said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So then they ate their meal, and then after the meal, after supper, he took the cup, and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So I'd imagine his disciples, who are gathered for this you know, Passover meal, are maybe a little freaked out by some of the conversation that Jesus is having. He's talking about, when I go to suffer. And he says, this bread is my body. They, I can't even imagine what they were thinking as he was saying, saying those things. Then he says, the hand of the one who's going to betray me is at the table with me. The Son of Man will go just as it has been determined, but woe to the one who betrays him. So they began to question among themselves which one of them he was talking about. Why was Jesus talking about broken, his body was bread? Why was he talking about suffering? And what's this kingdom coming he's talking about? It's a little bit confusing. Because at least it was for the disciples. They don't have the benefit of hindsight that we all have. We know he's talking about the cross. When he says, I'm going to suffer, he's talking about the cross. Clearly, when he's sharing this table with his disciples, his mind is on what's coming. Jesus knew crucifixion was coming. And I want you to catch that. I want you to catch that. His death on the cross was not an accident. His crucifixion was not an accident. It wasn't because the Jews were angry. It wasn't because the Roman soldiers were cruel. It wasn't a mistake. It was God's plan. This was God's plan from the beginning, that his son would die on a cross. And sometimes that's hard to bear. Why would that be God's plan? And all I want to say is that God has plans that sometimes are hard for us to understand. Sometimes God's plans don't make sense in the moment. Sometimes God's plans can be a little bit painful in the moment. I'm sure this was painful for him, and I'm sure that it was painful for his son. But he knew that there was something better at work. Amen? Sometimes his plans don't make sense, but I believe he's got something good at work. So we ask ourselves, why? Why this plan here? And I think the answer is very simple, and it's in the text that we just read. He took the bread... And he said, this is my body, and it's given for you. After supper, in the same way, he took the cup, and he said, this is my blood, which has been poured out for you. And I want to say, that's the reason. That's why this plan is you. You. You're the reason that God planned this. Jesus' death on the cross was part of God's plan from the beginning, and you 
were a part of God's plan from the very beginning. This story, this is the Easter story. His death, his burial, his resurrection. This is the story of Jesus. But I want to suggest that this is our story as well. As much as this is Jesus' story, this is our story. This is how we became who we are today. Amen? We wouldn't be anything if it wasn't for this story. Um, there's another story that's uh, one of my favorite stories. I won't tell the whole thing right now, but there's a story about how this church came to be where it is right now, um, about um, a man who was driving a truck um, down the highway, and he pulled over and saw an empty field, and he felt like God said there was going to be a church here. And when I hear that story, I think, that's my story too. Um, there's a story about a church in town here that had a revival, and they moved out of that church, and they decided to start a new, a new work, and it became this church. That's my story. There's a story about um, Pastor Chris when he first came to visit. Um, and he came and he preached here. And then he felt like God spoke to him and told him to come back to this church and be the pastor of this church for, I lost count of how many years. And I hear that story and I think, that's my story. That's my heritage. That's where I come into this. And I'm so grateful for what came before me. And the same thing is true of this Easter story. When I hear the story, I think, yes. That's my story too. That's where I belong. And the same thing is true of you. So at this point, what we're going to do is we're going to share in the communion table together. I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward, and they're going to pass out the communion. But as we do, I want to say something. This table is, in a way, it's a reenactment of what Jesus did that night. It's a reminder of what Jesus has done. But this table is more than just a practice. It's an invitation. Now, I don't know where you fit in this story that I'm talking about. Maybe you're thinking, well, that's not my story. I don't fit into this story. This doesn't apply to me. And I want to tell you this morning, I'm giving you an invitation to join the story. What Jesus has done is for you, no matter where you're at right now. And this is your opportunity to get, to get into it. And you might be thinking, well, I'm not sure. I don't go to this church. I'm not sure what the rules are. Am I allowed to take communion? I'm inviting you to partake with us. I'm inviting you to join in wherever you might be right now. He died on the cross for you. He came back to life for you, and this story is for you. So I'm going to invite the ushers now. They're going to um, pass out the bread. Um, and as they do, uh, you'll receive a piece of bread. I'll ask you that when you receive your piece, you just hold it for a moment, and we'll wait till everybody has received the piece. I'll pray, and then we'll take of it together, okay? The bread that they're passing out, um, it's just a piece of bread, um, but that piece of bread represents for us the body of Jesus. Just like he said, this bread is my body, so that's why we, that's why we use bread to symbolize that. But it's a reminder that Jesus had a body. And let me correct myself. Jesus has a body. He's still alive, and he still has a body, so... But that piece of bread reminds us that it was, a, it was a body, just like mine and yours. It's flesh, it's bones. He had thoughts and feelings, just like you and I have. He had good days, and he had bad days. He got hungry, he got tired. He experienced life here on this earth, the same way that you and I have. So I tell you that to remind you 
The scripture says that Jesus has compassion on us because he has experienced this life that we've experienced. And whatever you're experiencing, good or bad, he understands. And you might say, well, this is really hard. This is really painful. I can't do this. And I'm telling you, he's been there and he's experienced it. And he says, my body was given for you and it is sufficient for all of your hurts, for all of your disappointments, for all of your pain, for all of your hunger and your needs. What I did is enough. Amen? So I'll pray and then we'll, we'll take the bread together. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your sacrifice, um, for what you provided for us. And we thank you that you have healed our hearts and you have um, provided for our needs. And this morning we accept in faith what you have done for us. In your name, amen. So in a, in, a much, in a very same way, in a very similar way, um, the ushers are going to pass out um, some juice, and the juice represents the blood of Jesus. Uh, just as we did with the bread, I'll ask you when you receive your cup of juice that you hold it very, very carefully, please, until everybody has received a cup, um, and then I'll pray and we'll, and we'll take it together. The juice represents the blood of Jesus. When he spoke of it, he referred to this as the cup. Well, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And I thought about that when he said the covenant of my blood. Now, covenant talks about a relationship. And when we talk about a blood relation, what are we talking about? We're talking about family. You know, when we say the word, that's a blood relative. We're talking about somebody who's a family member, right? And I want to say that what Jesus did on the cross for us is not transactional. If you view it as a transaction, you've missed the point. He's not saying, listen, if you obey this and you go to church so many times a week and you say this prayer, then you can come into heaven or you can, you can receive this blessing. That's not how it works. It's not a transaction. It's not I do this for Jesus and he does this for me. It's a relationship. It's a friendship. You are a part of his family. Not because you're good enough or awesome enough or anything like that. Because Jesus made a way for you to belong by blood to the family. Okay? If it was a transaction, then transactions can be canceled. If it was a friendship, friendships can be broken. But it's not. It's a blood relationship. It's a family relationship. That's you belong. And so this morning is an invitation, not just to a group, not to a church, not to a movement. I'm inviting you into a family, the most awesome family ever, the family of God that you're invited to this morning. Amen? Amen. I'll pray. 
Lord Jesus, we thank you um, for your sacrifice and your blood that was shed for us. But we thank you for the invitation to be in your family. And this morning, we choose by faith to say, yes, we want to belong to that family. Yes, we want that relationship with you. We thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. So after Jesus, go back to the story now. After Jesus and his disciples had finished up their Passover meal, later that night, um, they went out to a nearby garden to pray. And at that point, it had actually gotten quite late at night. Um, it was more like the middle of the night by the time they got to this garden. And Jesus is out there praying. And in fact, the scripture tells us that his disciples who went with him fell asleep because it was so late. But Jesus continued to pray, and he was alone with the Father in this quiet, secret place, knowing that the cross is coming. He's in prayer. And then, in the darkness in that quiet place, a group of religious leaders and soldiers led there by one of Jesus' closest disciples, find him, and they arrest him there. And they take him from the garden. They take him into the city. They bring him before Pilate, who was the governor of the, of the region. And there before Pilate, these religious leaders make all kinds of false accusations about Jesus, about what he had done, that he was stirring up trouble and committing crime. And the, the story tells us that um, Pilate, he interrogated Jesus. He pulled him aside, gave him a good beating, and asked him a bunch of questions to figure out, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. And he interrogates Jesus. And if you read the story in Luke, I looked at it this week, and I saw three times Pilate says, this man has done nothing wrong. This man does not deserve punishment. This man is not guilty. So Pilate interrogates him and comes to the conclusion he hasn't done anything. Now I'm going to read from the scriptures. It says, But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant them their demands. He released a man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one that they had asked for, and instead he surrendered Jesus to their will. Two other men, both of them criminals, were led out with him, and they were to be executed. They led him out to a place called the Skull, and that's where they crucified him, along with two criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And then Jesus said, this is while he's hanging on the cross, dying, he says, Father, forgive them. Speaking of those who have put him on that cross to die, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Then the people divided up his clothes by casting lots. People stood watching, and rulers sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's really God's Messiah, if he's really the chosen one. Soldiers also came up. They mocked him. They offered him some wine with vinegar, and they said, if you're really the king of the Jews, you should save yourself. They put a notice above his head, and it read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung beside him was insulting him and said, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself. But the other criminal rebuked him and said, don't you fear God at all? Don't you see we are under the same sentence? We were punished justly. We're getting what we deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then the criminal, as he's dying, he turns to Jesus and he says, 
Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus turns and answers him and says, truly, I'm telling you, you will be with me in paradise. This was all about noon. And from noon until three, the whole land was covered in darkness. The sun stopped shining. There was a curtain in the temple that was torn into two. And then Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said that, he breathed his last. There was a centurion, a Roman guard who was stationed there. And when he saw this, he worshipped God and he said, truly, this was a righteous man. So I don't know if you caught it as I was reading, but the story tells us many times something that we already knew, and that is that Jesus was an innocent man. And there's many characters in this story that point that out to us. And what's really interesting is the characters who say it, they're not Jesus' fans. They're not his friends and his family. It's Pilate, who sentenced him to death, said he, he's done nothing wrong. Um, there's a criminal who's dying next to him who says, this man has done nothing wrong. There's a, a Roman guard who's guarding his crucifixion, who looks up and says, this was a righteous man. So they saw what we know, and that is he was innocent. I don't know how many of you guys have ever heard a story um, about somebody who was innocent, who was wrongly convicted. Um, I read a couple years ago, I read a, a John Grisham book um, about a man, it was a true story about a man who was in prison for many years, wrongly convicted. And when I hear stories like that, when I read that book and I hear other stories, I think, such injustice. That's not right. How can that be? How can someone lose 20 years of their life in prison unfairly? They did nothing just because of the broken system, because of incompetence, because of greed. Who knows why? That's just not right. And if you've ever heard stories like that, you probably felt the same thing. Like, that's not right. It's got to be fixed. We've got to go back and fix that. That's how I feel when I hear about that kind of stuff. That's how we should, we should feel when we hear that an innocent man was killed. But Jesus, surprisingly, was quiet in the face of accusation. He knew he was wrongly being accused. He knew this was false, but he was quiet. He didn't say anything. He didn't argue with them. And also, he's Jesus. I'm sure he could have argued with them. I'm sure he could have convinced them, but he didn't. You might have noticed in the story a couple of people said to him, save yourself. They were mocking when they said that. Um, it was one group that said, if you're really the Messiah, then save yourself. If you're really who you say you are, then prove it. Save yourself. And I, we all know he absolutely could have, but he chose not to. He chose not to save himself so he could save us instead. He chose not to save himself from that cross so he could save you and I from that. He chose to stay on that cross so we could be forgiven, so we could be healed, so that we could be set free. Amen? How many of you are grateful this morning that he chose to stay on that cross? Amen? Now, we talk about, when we talk about the cross, we sing about the cross, we think about the cross, we say that Jesus bore the punishment for my sins on this cross. He went to the cross so I wouldn't have to. 
But I want to tell you this morning, the cross is about more than just punishment. It's about more than just punishment for what you've done. The cross is about new life. That's what Sarah talked about this morning with the the cross out front. It's a symbol that from the cross comes new life. Because after the cross, there's a resurrection. Spoiler alert. But you know what? Think about it. There can be no resurrection without death. There can be no new life without there first being a death. So the cross is not so much about punishment. It's about the coming of new life, about something better that is coming on the other side of the cross. That's what it's about. I said this morning that his story is my story. His story, this is our story. And when he hung on that cross, part of me died there as well. The scripture tells us, I have been crucified with Christ. There's a part of me that died that day on the cross. Are you with me? There's a part of me, if I'm being really vulnerable with you, there's a part of me that likes to do what I want that doesn't really care that much about other people, doesn't really care about what God wants, I want to get what I want to get. I sound like a little toddler right now, don't I? But there's a part inside of me, maybe I'm the only one, who has that deep inside. And that old part of me, what that's called? It's called human nature. We're all born with human nature. And, but that old nature was crucified on that cross with Jesus. Amen? That's not who I am, because that part of me is dead. And it's, it died on the cross that day. Let me give you an analogy. When I was younger, um, I had a lot of cars. That's not to say that I owned a lot of cars at one time. I mean, I went through a lot of cars. Maybe some of you <laughs> went through the same thing, or maybe you're in the same thing right now, where I'd have a car for a few months, and then it would fall apart, and then I would take all the money that I had, which wasn't very much, and buy another car that wouldn't last very long. So I drove a lot of junkers, um, cars that had problems, cars that had mufflers hanging out, um, had one headlight out, um, the inspection sticker was almost always a year past due, that kind of thing. Um, and this, as you can imagine, more than once led to me getting pulled over and getting a ticket uh, for something that was wrong with the car and then having to fix that. You know, I'm sure there are some people in this room who have been in the same boat. Now, I want you to imagine a scenario with me. Imagine that I'm driving a car and the muffler's dragging on the ground and I get pulled over for this. And the officer writes me a ticket and says, you know, you got to pay a fine because your car is, you know, and also it's not, it's, it's past inspection and it's got some problems. So you got to pay a fine for this. And now here I am, broke, broke down car, and now I got a bill to pay, a fine to pay. Let's imagine that I have a friend um, who knows me and cares about me and um, is in a place to help. And he hears that this happens and he says, oh, I feel bad for Ben. I mean, this poor guy doesn't have a lot of money, he's got a broken car, and now he's got a fine on top of that. Like, poor kid can't catch a break. So he says, I'm going to help him out. So my friend, he goes, he speaks to the officer, he speaks to the judge maybe, he pays the fine for me. And he gets the ticket taken care of. He says, you know what, don't worry about the ticket, uh, we're going we're gonna to take care of it. And of course, side note, I realize this is not how it works in real life, but let's just imagine with me that that's how it worked, that someone just took care of the ticket, paid the fine, it's all done. He comes to me, he says, hey, good news, I paid your ticket, you don't have to worry about it, you don't have any more legal problems, your legal problems have been taken care of. Now part of me is going to be like, yes, that's great, I'm so glad I don't have that, that bill to pay, I don't have that legal problem anymore. 
However, I still have a car with a broken muffler. I still have a junker car, right? It's only a matter of time till I get pulled over again. It didn't solve the real problem. And if the cross is just about punishment for your sins, like, hey, it's okay, we're going to overlook your sins, you still have a problem. You're still a sinful person. You're still broken inside. You're still not who God made you to be inside. Even though we might be overlooking your badness, it's still in you. And that is not good enough. That is not what he did at the cross. He accomplished a lot more that day. You know what he did? He said, you know what? That junker, we're taking it to the scrapyard. We're going to get rid of it. And we're going to buy you a new car. So not only do you have no more tickets, but you have something else new that belongs to you. And that is an analogy of what he did for us. He didn't just pay for our sins. He gave us new life. Amen? Yes. Good. So what we're going to do now, before we move on to the resurrection, we're going to take a moment. I'm going to invite you, close your eyes, just take a minute, and I'm going to pray a quick, simple prayer. I invite you to pray along with me in your heart. It goes like this. Thank you, Jesus, that my old nature died on that cross. Thank you, Jesus, my old nature died on that cross. Amen. So far this morning, we have talked a lot about death. We've talked about broken bodies and, and blood. We've talked about hanging on a cross and dying. But this is Easter, and Easter is not about death. Like I said, spoiler alert, it doesn't end at the cross. Amen? It ends over here, where there's an empty tomb. Well, let's go back to the story. After Jesus died on that cross, there was a man named Joseph who asked Pilate for permission. He brought the body down. He wrapped the body, and he put it in a tomb. And then he rolled a stone in front of that tomb. There was a group of women, friends of Jesus, family members of Jesus. And these women prepared these like spices, these perfumes that they were going to use to cover the body to preserve it. Um, and then it says, on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, very early in the morning, probably earlier than this, the women took the spices they prepared and they went to the tomb. When they got there, they found the stone rolled away. But they went in. But when they entered, guess what? They did not find the body of Jesus. And they were wondering about this. Suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Remember what he told you when he was still with you in Galilee. He said, the Son of Man will be delivered to the hands of sinners. He will be crucified, and on the third day he will raise again. And then they remembered his words. Side note, I, I, when I read this, I think, how did they just remember it then? How did they not remember that before? When Jesus, did Jesus really say to them, listen, guys, I'm going to be crucified by sinners, and I'm going to be buried for three days, and I'm going to come back to life again. How did they forget that piece of information in the days before? But I understand it, it must have been traumatic to be there. So the angel says this, and they go, oh, that's right, resurrection. So they came back from the tomb. They ran back to the house where the disciples were. Imagine the disciples are all grieving. Um, 
And they told these things to the 11. It's all the others. There was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and some others who they told this to the disciples. But catch this. They didn't believe the women because it sounded like nonsense. (laughs) They hadn't yet remembered either. But Peter, Peter, one of the closest disciples to Jesus, I think Peter starts thinking, wait a minute. This is the guy who walks on water. This is the guy who heals blind eyes. This is the guy who brought Lazarus out of a grave. Maybe? Is it possible? So Peter gets up and he runs to the tomb as fast as he can. And when he gets there, bending over, what he saw was two strips of linen that were lying by themselves. And he went away, wondering himself, what has happened here? Now, I want you to imagine with me, (laughs) forgive me if this is a little awkward, but imagine for me what this would be like. Imagine you have a friend who dies, and you go to the funeral, and then you go to a graveside burial, and then you go back a few days later to put some flowers on the grave. But when you get there, the grave is open, and the body is gone. What are you thinking? You're probably calling the cops, right? <laughs> like something, something is not right here. And these women must have felt the same thing. They were probably very, very confused and distraught when they saw this. But then... Two men in shiny clothes show up and say, why are you looking for living people here? This is a place for dead people. The person you're looking for, he is not here. He is alive. He is risen. Amen? This is exciting news. This is the best part of the story. This is the best part of our story is that he's not here. He's not on the cross. He's not in the grave. He's alive. He is alive today. This is good news. He didn't die on this cross to save himself. He died on the cross to save us. In the same way, he didn't raise from the grave to save himself. He rose from the grave to save us. He didn't come back to life because he needed new life. He came back to new life because we needed new life. Our old life is dead, but what do we got now? We need a new life. And that's why The resurrection is the best part of the story because there is a hope. There is a good thing for us. There is a a new nature. Our human nature is gone. There's a new spiritual nature that's given to us, and it's alive. I wanted to read something to you. This morning as I was reading my Bible, I wasn't planning to say this, but this just jumped out at me, and I just thought, that is too good to not read here. This is in Romans. The, The Apostle Paul writes, he's explaining this very thing And he writes in in the book of Romans, and he says, Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we will walk in newness of life. Just as he was raised from the grave, even so we will walk in newness of life. Keeps going, gets better. It says, If we have been united together in the likeness of his death, then surely we will also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Amen? This is our story too. The death of our old nature and our new life. This is our story. Our old nature was replaced with a new nature simply by putting our faith in what Jesus has done. It was replaced. I mentioned earlier, I referred to the fact that like, you know, um, There's a a part of me that sometimes wants what I want, that's selfish, that's greedy, 
that doesn't want to do what God wants, that doesn't really care about other people. There's a part of me that, that's like that. But that part of me is dead. And now there's a new thing in me that loves people, that loves my enemy, that loves my neighbor. And it's not me. I'm not that good, trust me. It's something that God has done in me. There's a part of me that is able to obey what he says to do. There's a part of me that is faithful and disciplined and wise. And it's not me. I'm not bragging on me. It's Jesus. It's only what Jesus has done. And the same thing is in you too. The same thing is in each one of you. There is grace to live a new life that he bought for you, okay? No one's expecting you to be perfect or to be good or to be godly or to be loving on your own. We all know you too well. We know you can't do it on your own. But by the power of Jesus, by the thing that Jesus did, by the nature of Jesus, you are a new person, all right? Now, I know when I preach this, it's easy to listen and go, yeah, that doesn't seem, that doesn't fit. You know, it doesn't seem right. You, Ben's up there, and he's saying that I have something new inside of me, but that doesn't always seem true. In fact, there's a lot of times when it feels like I don't have that, when it feels like I don't have new life. Maybe you're thinking that this morning. You're thinking, it sounds good. It sounds too good to be true. And I want to tell you, that is what faith is. That's what faith is. Faith believes what doesn't always feel true. It doesn't always feel like there's new life inside of me, but I believe it's true. I believe he's done something new in me. I believe he's done something new in, in you. I believe that God has a plan, even when it doesn't make sense in the moment. Even when I look at it and say, that can't be right. This doesn't add up. But I believe that God's doing something. And I believe that he's working in me, even when I don't see his work, even when I have bad attitudes and I say things I shouldn't say or think things I shouldn't think. I believe he's doing something new in me. Anybody else in this place believe that he's doing something new in you? Amen. Um, so in this story, uh, near the end, Peter runs to the tomb. And when he gets there, of course, he doesn't find Jesus because he's not there, right? But he does find some linen clothes, some linen grave clothes. And I think it's so interesting that Jesus left his grave clothes in that tomb. I think there's an important lesson in there. I think there's something for us to learn by the fact that he left these things. He left what he was wearing in the grave in there. We have a tendency to go back to that old nature. That old nature is dead, and it's behind us, but we have a tendency to put it on for some reason. We say, you know what, that selfishness, that's dead, but I'm going to carry it around with me a little bit. That bitterness that I feel towards other people. I know that's not really me, but I'm going to hang on to it for a little bit. That worry, I know that's not what Jesus wants me to have, but it's comforting. So I'm going to hang on to a little bit of that. And we hang on to dead things. We hang on to our old nature sometimes. We don't do it on purpose. I don't think anyone chooses that. It's just comfortable and it's easy. And we, we slip back into it. Paul, once again, he writes in, in, to the, uh, in the letter to the Ephesians and he says, Tells the believers, put off your old self. Take off that old nature. That has to do with your old way of life. And just put that off. And leave that thing in the grave. Leave that thing behind you. There was only one sacrifice that happened. There was only one death that happened. That happened once, and we're good. But the taking off of the old grave clothes, that needs to happen often. Maybe even daily. Daily we need to say, you know what? I'm taking off this selfishness. That's not who I am anymore. 
I'm taking off this bitterness. That's not who I am anymore. I'm taking off this hurt because that's not who I am anymore. I'm taking off this sin. That's not who I am anymore, and I'm leaving it there. Jesus left his grave clothes in the tomb, I think, as a symbol that the old life was staying dead. So this morning, what I want to do, I'm going to invite you to do something. Um, I'm going to invite you to leave something in this tomb as a symbol that you're leaving it behind you. Um, I'm going to invite Josh to come up, and he can, he can play. You'll find in the seats um, in behind you, there's a little uh, blank 3x5 card. You want to grab that 3x5 card. You don't have to do this if this feels really uncomfortable to you. No pressure. But if you want to you know, symbolize leaving the dead things behind you, I'm going to invite you. Write it down, whatever it might be. Come up here and leave it in this tomb. And maybe God's been speaking to you as I've been speaking, and something has come to your mind. You said, yeah, that thing, that's my old nature, and I don't want that in my life anymore. Write it down. Maybe you haven't thought of it yet. Just take a moment. There's no rush. Just take a moment and pray and say, Lord, is there something that I need to leave behind? You can, you can come up and you can leave that in the grave at any point while I'm praying, while Josh is playing, while we're singing. At any point, come up here and just drop it off there. Me personally, I'll tell you right now, I'm leaving insecurity. Too often I'm worried about what other people think about me and am I pleasing other people and am I doing the right thing. And it makes me do really stupid things sometimes. But I'm leaving that behind. That's old nature. And I'm not bringing that with me anymore. So I invite you to do the same thing. I'm going to pray. You can feel free to, uh, to come up and leave anything you want there. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for what you did on the cross. We thank you so much that you are alive today. We thank you that you have separated us from that old sinful nature. And you've given us new life in your name. Amen? So this morning... We leave behind those old dead things. We leave behind those old grave clothes, those old way of life. Amen. Amen.